Appreciate everybody's presence this morning. We have a lot of visitors today. We're glad for you uh, being here. We appreciate your presence, but we appreciate the presence of the regular members here as well. And so we kind of highlight our visitors from time to time, but uh, I appreciate the presence of every single one, whether you're a visitor or a regular member here. Uh, we have some with us who've been out for a while and uh, the Sparks are with us today. They've been out for a while, but they're back in their familiar place over there. That's, that's great. That's really encouraging to, to see them and uh, glad that they're able to be back with us today. I'll invite you to turn to the book of 2 Samuel today. The book of 2 Samuel. It's great to be here, being together like this. Helps us put life into perspective. I was thinking about the 73rd Psalm. In the 73rd Psalm, the, the writer... Uh, admits to kind of getting caught up in the affairs and thoughts and worries of this world and, and concerns of this world and kind of wondering what in the world is going on. And, and he uh, resented some of the things that he saw around him. And then he said, I went to the house of the Lord. And that helped me put things in, into perspective. We, we get caught up in the things of this world and what this world has to offer the opportunities that this world offers us, the, the achievements of this world. And I know it seems like when we're in the middle of life that this world lasts a long time. But it's really just a moment in time, isn't it? It's just, it, it, it's just a fleeting shadow. It's just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And then, and then we're faced with eternity. And uh, we think about the things of this world and the opportunities of this world, the achievements of this world, what will they be in light of eternity? And so coming together in a situation like this helps us to think about those things and again, put things into perspective. It's not that the things of this world are not important. They, they are important to us, but their importance is much, much less, much less than eternal matters and spiritual matters. And so that's what an opportunity like this helps us to do, put things into perspective. Well, that's not my sermon. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 22 today. This takes place right at the end of David's life. You'll remember that about the second half of 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel are centered around the life of David. David, of course, was a great man, one of the great heroes of the Bible, the second king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, though his life was far from flawless, far from perfect. He never did turn away from God, though he made serious mistakes. God was always his God, and he was always God's man. Solomon, his son, turned away from God, and so many after him did in fact turn away from God and turn to idols, but, but David never did. He was always loyal to God in that way. He fell short, he made mistakes, made serious mistakes, but he was always loyal to God, always seeking to please God, though again, he made serious errors. He was a man of extraordinary ability. He was a shepherd, you remember, in his youth. He was a warrior, he was a king. And he was also a musician, a very accomplished musician, apparently, and a skilled poet as well. And so I don't know how often you find those things combined. King, warrior, shepherd, poet, musician. 
he was just an extraordinary man, extraordinarily talented. But he also combined things like courage and compassion and thoughtfulness and loyalty and faith. And so not only was he physically able and physically talented, but his attitude, you know, his compassion toward others, his commitment toward God, his faith, uh, his loyalty, those kinds of attributes were combined in David in a very high level as well. He experienced the highest achievements possible for man in his time, but also some of the deepest troubles, and he felt them all intensely, didn't he? And so he knew the highs of life, but he knew the lows of life, and his poems, the Psalms, show us just how deep and intense his emotions and his feelings were, and he's able to put those, through the guidance of the Spirit, of course, able to put those into writing, and still study today, 3,000 years later, we're still studying the poems, the Psalms of David. They have that much lasting power. David had a hard life. He faced many enemies from outside, and so he said he was king, and so he's fighting off his enemies that are encroaching upon Israel and leading his men into battle. But he, he faced a lot of enemies from within as well. His own family, for example, on occasion rose up against him. Absalom, his son, rebelled against him and tried to take over the throne. He spent a lot of his life on the run, on the run from King Saul, then on the run from Absalom as well. He made serious mistakes, as we said a moment ago. They must have weighed on him. We know they weighed on him because he wrote about them. His sin with Bathsheba, his, his adultery with her, weighed heavily upon his mind. And he expresses that apparently in the 51st Psalm. He has the burden of responsibility as the king. And all of those things wear him down. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, Daniel is an old man apparently at this point in time. He's near the end of his life. He faced all these trials, all these circumstances, enemies from without, enemies from within his family, the guilt of sin, the burden of being king. And, and so he's felt all of those things all through his life. And now at the end of his life, he looks back and considers all that God has done for him. It's a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. It's one of the great psalms in the Bible. I say that. Because not only is it recorded for us in 2 Samuel 22, it's also the 18th Psalm. And so, if you go over to the 18th Psalm, you'll find it there, just word for word, exactly like you find it in, the, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It's a, it's a Psalm of great encouragement. Sometimes I think about what people are going through. I think about people in the congregation, as you do, you think about people in the congregation and you think about what people are going through, and you think, sometimes people just need a word of encouragement. <laughs> I think that's true. Sometimes we just need some encouragement. And so that's what the sermon is aiming to do today. Now this is a long passage, 50 verses or so, so we're not going to take the time to read through all of it. If you read an English Standard Version, you'll see that they divide it up into different sections or stanzas or paragraphs. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to just take paragraph by paragraph and summarize it, and then maybe look at a verse or two that 
that uh, kind of conveys the central message of that stanza. And so the first stanza is verses 2 of 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 through 4. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. And we just sing a song very much like that just a moment ago. We didn't plan it that way, just worked out that way. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge. And so here's just a, a list of, oh, these, are, you, these terms are used metaphorically, aren't they? And so here's metaphorical language describing the role that God has filled in David's life. God is David's rock. Solid, firm, you know, foundational, his fortress, his shield, his horn, which has to do with strength and power, his stronghold. And then he uses some very straightforward language. He is my refuge. When I'm in trouble, when I'm having difficulties, I find refuge in him. He's my refuge, my deliverer and my savior. And so simply a kind of a, 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 a list of metaphorical terms. Some of them are straightforward that describe what David is to, what God is to David. Second stanza, verses 5 through 7, David describes in very vivid terms his desperate situation. Look especially at verse 7. In my distress I called upon the Lord, yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry for help came into his ears. And so, as I just highlight a verse here and there, you can scan through and fill in the remaining verses around in that paragraph. So David describes his situation. I'm in trouble. You know, I'm, I'm having a difficult time. I'm going through some tribulation. And I cried out to the Lord in my distress, and he heard me. You ever feel distressed? You ever feel like that? I'm in trouble here. I'm, I'm, I'm facing hardship. This is difficult. What am I going to do? Stanza 3, verses 8 through 16. The Lord responds. This is an interesting section here. Again, he's using figurative language. But the Lord has sort of neutralized the enemy that David is facing, those who are endangering him. And uh, the, the writer David here uses some cataclysmic language to describe what God has done. And so he refers to earthquakes and fire and smoke and lightning. And so God has acted in a very powerful way to rescue David and, and to come to his aid. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered His voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. And so while I was in trouble, I was in distress, and I called out to the Lord, Whoom! He, he thundered. And He neutralized those who were causing me this anguish and routed them. Stanza 4, verses 17 through 20. David speaks in a more straightforward way here. Listen to what he says in verse 19. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Need some support in life? You need some help? You need a little encouragement? You need some stability? The Lord was my support. I was in trouble. The, you know, the ground was, was, was washing out from under my feet, but the Lord supported me. 
The next stanza, verses 21 through 25, David maintains his righteousness. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not acted wickedly against my God. And so David maintains his righteousness. He's done nothing to merit the assault that his enemies are, are, are bringing against him. And God responds to David because David is a righteous man. And so that's the attribution. God has responded to me because of my righteousness. We'll say more about that in a few minutes. The sixth stanza, verses 26 through 31, David highlights the correlation between man's character and the way God deals with him. And so verse 26, with the kind you show yourself kind, with the blameless you show yourself blameless, with the pure you show yourself pure, and with the perverted you show yourself astute, is the New American Standard Bible say, is what it, the way it's translated there. Some versions might say torturous. With the uh, uh, with the uh, perverted, you show yourself torturous. And so this is the way de God deals with others. The seventh stanza, verses 32 through 46, David describes the result of God's help. Look especially at verse 36. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet haven't slipped. And so the Lord has rescued David. He's made David safe and secure. He's enabled David to defeat his enemies. And finally, the last stanza, verses 47 through 51, a final statement of praise. Now you might recognize this verse. The Lord lives, and blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God, the rock of my salvation. I suppose that may be the best well-known verse in the in the psalm. And so, again, that just summarizes the psalm, gives us an idea of its content and what we're going to pass through. I'm going to look at a, just a few, just draw out a few points from the psalm. E even the righteous have troubles. And so here's David. He maintains his righteousness. But even David has troubles. He's very clear, verses 22, 23, 24, as we read a moment ago, very, very strong in his affirmation. I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not acted, acted wickedly against my God. His ordinances are before me. As for his statutes, I didn't depart from them. And so he's, he's very clear about that. And yet, and yet he has all kinds of problems. He's facing some very difficult circumstances. Now we know from 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, as we read through the historical record, we know some of his difficulties he faced. But this psalm brings it out as well. Verse 30, or verse 3, he faces violence. Verse 7, distress. Verse 18, a strong enemy. Again, verse 18, those who hated him. Again, verse 18, those who are too strong for him. He refers to it in verse 10 as a day of calamity. Those who rose up against me in contention in verse 44. David was subject to, as they, they say, the thousand natural shocks this flesh is heir to. He grew old. He got tired. If you go back to chapter 22, 21, didn't say anything about this. But again, here's, here we are at the end of David's life, apparently. And he goes out to battle with the, with the army. This is chapter 21 and verse 15. When the Philistines were at war against Israel, David went down 
and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David got weary, got tired. That's not like David. (laughs) It's just so unusual. It's noted even here in Scripture. He grew weary. You know what they did? After the battle, they said, David, you're not coming out here anymore. (laughs) He's getting old, isn't he? He's getting older. He just doesn't have the stamina that he once did, that he did in his youth and even in, in, in his middle years. In 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 1, David got old. He, he couldn't keep warm. He couldn't stay warm. They put covers on him. He couldn't get warm. <laughs> and they got a young woman to come and, and lie down with him and, and keep him warm. And it's very clear they didn't have any kind of inappropriate relations, but he's getting old. He's, very, he's, a very, he's a righteous man, a man after God's own heart, and yet he suffers. In addition to that, he's suffering the unique trials of being king and all of that responsibility, the criticism, the rebellion, the jealousy, the rivalry. He endures all of that. And so he's a righteous man, but even the righteous have troubles. The waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. God has never promised His people would be exempt from hardship and trial. This psalm surely doesn't promise that. God never says, if you keep my word, if you walk in my way, your life is going to be easy. This doesn't, never says that, does it? David's an illustration of that. I suppose if you had to think of one Bible character that illustrated that best, other than Christ perhaps, it's Job, isn't it? It's Job. A righteous man, a godly man, the greatest man of his time, and yet suffered terribly in his time. We know people like that. We may be enduring some of those things ourselves, but at least we know people who are righteous people. They're good people. There's not anything in their lives that she would say, look, there's a glaring error. I know everybody has their problems and everybody shall fall short, but in that guy right there, that woman, I don't see it. And yet they're suffering. Even after we become children of God, we're going to suffer the frailties of human life. We're going to get sick. We're going to have medical conditions. We're going to suffer injury. We're going to grow old. We're going to have pain and suffering. We may suffer uniquely from the demands of our life, the unique situations that we face in our life. In addition to the things that we all have in common, maybe that our job brings about some special problems or our level of income. We might not have very much income and suffer from that. But, you know, I had somebody tell me pretty well off. He said, you know, I kind of reached this stage in my income and... It's just brought on a different set of problems. (laughs) And so the the problems are going to come, no matter what our station in life. Our family relationships might create problems for us. That's that's never been the promise of God. You just walk in my ways, and I'm going to make your life easy. Now, what he does promise is this. I'll be with you. One of the great promises of the Bible, over and over, I'll be with you. You know, David recognized that. The 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? What's the, what's the rest of that verse? 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Why? Because you are with me. Because you are with me. Now that's the promise, isn't it? I will be with you through these things. And we see that reflected in this psalm. The Lord was with David. A second observation is this. That there's a connection between, David makes a connection between God's help and our righteousness. See that in verse 21? The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He has recompensed me. I've kept the ways of the Lord and not acted wickedly against my God, for all His ordinances were before me, and as for His statutes, I didn't depart from them. And so, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. And so, again, David makes that connection very clearly, doesn't he? And so, God responds to David, because David is a man after God's own heart. You might, like me, wonder, how can a man like David write that? <laughs> We've already referred to his sin with Bathsheba. He's made other mistakes as well. How can he write something like, According to the cleanness of my hands, He's recompensed me. He's rewarded me according to my righteousness. He makes those kind of statements elsewhere as well. The 17th Psalm says, My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. How can the man who committed adultery and tried to conceal it, as David did, make a statement like this? Well, David's not saying that he was sinless. But even though, as we said earlier, even though he, was, he did commit sin and he did fall short grievously, always loyal to God. Not like Solomon, who turned away from God. Not like Jeroboam, king of Israel, who turned away. Not, not like other kings of Israel who turned away. The Lord was always his God. And when David sinned, he acknowledged it. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 12, David uh, is confronted by Nathan the prophet. Nathan tells him this story, and uh, it really serves to make David conscious of his sin and guilty, feel that guilt for his sin. You're the man. You remember Nathan tells him that. And David says, you're right. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And so, yes, David makes mistakes and falls grievously. When he does, he's willing to admit it and confess it. He never turns away from God. He's willing to acknowledge his sin. The 51st Psalm, the 32nd Psalm illustrate the point as well. If you remember the 51st Psalm, the introductory material tells us that it was written after his sin with Bathsheba. Here's what David says. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Look at all the different words for sin he uses. My transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. And you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And so he's open about it. He acknowledges it. He confesses his sin, and the Lord forgives him. So here in 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, he can say he has done what God desires. Yes, I've fallen short at times. I've sinned. I've sinned very seriously. I willingly acknowledge that. 
freely acknowledge it, and ask God to forgive, I stand before God, consequently, with nothing to hide. In the 139th Psalm, remember that, that Psalm David uh, talks about the omnipresence of God and not being able to flee from the presence of God and God knows is sitting down and is rising up. At the end of that Psalm, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, see what's there. My life is an open book. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not concealing anything from God. My errors I freely acknowledge. And God has been gracious enough to forgive me. And so there's a connection between God's help and our right, not our sinlessness, not anybody is sinless, but our righteousness. Remember James 5 and verse 16? The way I learned it was the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There are those who live in blatant disregard for God's ways, and when they are in trouble, they turn from God as, he were, as if He were on perpetual standby, waiting to get them out of trouble. They almost see God as the genie in Aladdin's lamp. You know, li- li- just live according to their own way, according to their own pleasure, do what they want to do, and, oh no, I'm in trouble, let me rub the lamp, and, and God will be there to grant my wishes for me. No. It doesn't work that way, does it? And so if we want God's help in times of trouble, and there will be times of trouble, let's be faithful and loyal to Him now. Jesus provides, again, the prime example of this. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus humbling Himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, the death on the cross, wherefore, which means for this reason, God highly exalted Him. He humbled Himself. He was obedient. He did the Father's will. For that reason, God highly exalted Him. God responds. There's a connection between God's help and God's response and our loyalty. The third point we want to make is, in times of trouble, depend on the Lord. I think that's the obvious message of the psalm, isn't it? (laughs) In times of trouble, depend on the Lord. We've suggested that throughout our discussion today. We just want to bring it right up to the surface here as uh, we bring the lesson to a close in a few minutes. So verses 17 through 19, He sent from on high, He took me, He drew me out of many waters, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. We might not face the same challenges that David faced in every way, but we will face challenges. Turn to the Lord for support. Remember what David says in the very beginning of the psalm, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge. It's almost as if... David is collecting every kind of term like that he can find and and including it. My Savior, you save me from violence. Turn to the Lord as the rock, the fortress, the deliverer, the refuge, the horn of salvation, the Savior, the deliverer. And the Lord will enable us to overcome. That's what we find here in this psalm. 
God enables David to overcome the enemy. Verse 35, He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And so he, he enables me, gives me the strength and the wherewithal to deal with the issues that I face so that I can overcome them. Verse 33, look at verses 33 through 34. God is my strong fortress. He sets, the, he sets the blameless in His way. He makes my feet like hind's feet. He sets me on high places. The idea there, as I understand, a hind is a deer. And so just think about that. The, the deer, he's in the forest, and he's running through the forest, and his feet are, are sure. He's, he, he doesn't stumble and fall. He just makes his way through as he runs through. We have stability in the Lord. He gives us our stability in life. He'll make our feet like hinds feet. Even in times of trouble, we can be calm, we can be free from anxiety and distress, and we can be, we can be at peace in the Lord. He gives us stability in life. We get all caught up in the affairs of this life and the uncertainties of this life and the problems of this life, and it just feels like <laughs> our lives are as, as unstable and but see, in the Lord, we have stability. He gives us that stability. He gives us the ability to overcome and to deal with the problems that we face. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of these promises is in heaven itself. Well, Brother Bob, it sounds like you're saying that if we turn to the Lord and we're faithful, we're not going to have any problems. No, no, no. We, we've tried to say we're going to have these problems. The ultimate fulfillment is in heaven. That's the ultimate fulfillment of these kinds of passages. And He'll certainly deliver us eternally there. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation gives us a description of heaven. Chapter 14, He tells us that heaven is a place of rest. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. Their deeds follow after them. Heaven is a place of rest. This life is not a place of rest. <laughs> but heaven is where we rest from our labors. Revelation chapter 21 tells us that the former things are passed away. The things of this life that cause us problems in heaven, they're all in the past. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So all of those things are, are gone. In the book of Philippians, the Bible tells us that heaven will be a place of glory. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform uh, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of His power. This body, with all its frailties and shortcomings, transformed into a glorious body. And then a place of victory as well. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment is in heaven, a place of rest, where former things have passed away, a place of glory, a place of victory. If we're going through difficult times, if we're going through trials, keep your eye on the ultimate goal, heaven, and it'll help us endure it. As we said in the beginning, it's a, it's a psalm of praise, isn't it? 
Ultimately, at the end, that's what David does. He praises God. He gives glory to God for the things that God has done. Again, verse 47, a statement of praise. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Exalted be God, the God of my salvation. And so he exclaims this, this uh, praise and glory here at the end. Have you experienced the blessing of God? Have you experienced the blessing of God? If so, give Him thanks. Has He helped you in times of trouble? As you look back at your life, maybe not in the you know, too distant past. <laughs> Has He given you help in trouble sometimes? Praise Him for it. And know that He will give the ultimate victory in heaven itself. So I said at the very beginning, I think about people's lives and what they're going through, and sometimes I think, we well, see some encouragement. Just need a word of encouragement. Well, that's what I've tried to do today. A word of encouragement. God is with us. Resort to Him. Depend on Him. He will support us. And He will give us the wherewithal to endure until the ultimate victory comes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you love us, that you provide for us, that you're concerned about us, that you care for us. Our Father, we go through difficult times in this life. We struggle sometimes. We suffer in one form or another. Sometimes those times wear, wear us down. We become weak. Our, our steps begin to falter. Help us, Father, always to turn to you. Help us to depend on you. And look to you as our, our rock, our refuge, our shield, the horn of our salvation, the deliverer. And may, Father, that lift us up and give us strength to overcome the trials. Always, Father, help us to remember the ultimate goal is not found in this life, but in the life to come, in heaven itself, that place that's been prepared for us. Father, we look forward to that time when the trials of this life, the pain, the sorrow, the death, they, they, they'll all be behind us. They'll all be in the past. And we'll live in victory and in glory in your presence forever and ever. We're thankful that the gift of your Son has made that possible, that he's come to atone for our sin so that when we see the sin in our life, as David did, repent and turn from it and acknowledge it, that through His blood, all sin will be forgiven. And we have that living hope of resurrection and eternal life. So help us, Father, as we go through this life. Give us that strength. Be patient with us. Help us along the way. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here